Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The Dancing on Our Disabilities show is a global forum where you're invited to share your personal story of survival and triumph over disability. A meeting place to gather information from experts in the medical community and additional resources for the enrichment of society. A group dedicated to bringing information, support, and love into the lives of people with disabilities as well as their caregivers. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Dancing on Our Disabilities. I'm Myra, your host. We celebrate amazing stories of triumph and applaud the human spirit for rising above adversity and moving towards success. We share motivational and inspirational stories as well as therapeutic and medical information. Visit us on facebook.com forward slash dancing on our disabilities. Remember to like the page when you visit. Our topic today is mental toughness. We are going to be talking to an amazing woman by the name of Amanda Rupley. Her story is one of courage, strength, perseverance, and mental toughness. She was diagnosed with a debilitating autoimmune disorder that brought her to the brink of death several times. This woman is an example of what anyone should do when faced with devastating adversity. Did she give up and start whining about poor me? Not at all. She faced her disorder with fierce determination. I love her story. Amanda has written a book called Lights, Camera, Lupus. It is an inspirational and personal lupus survivor's testimony of dealing with a chronic illness privately while living a very public world. She illuminates the devastation and frustration of being sick, but not having anyone give her the answers she needed to heal. Amanda's fight is one that will inspire us all, showing that you can be empowering and teach others how to overcome the curveball life throws at you. Welcome, Amanda. Hi, Myra. Thank you so much for having me on. You're very welcome. I have to tell you that recently I was at a Chamber of Commerce meeting, and one lady made a comment that she was a little distressed because she had just learned that her cousin was diagnosed with lupus. Now, there were about 25 oh. other women in the room. Everyone has heard of lupus, but no one knew what it was. Would you please explain it to our listeners? I absolutely will. You know, that's, um, that's something that's pretty common, actually. Um, a lot of people have heard the word lupus, but they never know what that actually means. Um, so to put it in a nutshell... Lupus is a form of an autoimmune illness, um, which we have come to, the autoimmune community, when I say we, um, has come to kind of dub invisible illness because from the outside, we look fine, but on the inside, our bodies are literally attacking our own bodies. Um, so in a healthy person, for example, you have good cells and you have bad cells. When you get sick, your good cells attack the bad cells from the virus or the illness that you have you know, to fight off the infection. With an autoimmune illness, your good cells mistake other good cells for bad cells. So in essence, your body is literally fighting against itself because your good cells are attacking the good cells instead of the bad cells, um, which causes a lot of damage within the body. Lupus specifically, um, what I have, systemic lupus, otherwise known as SLE, it affects 
the, um, the brain, liver, kidneys, heart, your major organs, um, specifically causing major inflammation, um, you know, different um, disabilities within your organs. So you can have kidney failure, you can have liver dysfunction, you can have, you know, heart-related um, issues. Um, and it, uh, you know, causes sometimes, a lot of times actually, um, can be very life-threatening if you're not on top of your regimen, if you're not paying attention to it. Um, nowadays, thankfully, science has grown and they're learning more, you know, about lupus each and every day, which can prolong the life expectancy. Um, but there's so many people out there that are living with lupus that don't even know that they have lupus. Wow, that's pretty scary. So in other mm-hmm. words, not only are you vulnerable to outside infections, normal things like the flu and all of that at a probably a higher rate than the average person, but if you do yes, get ma'am. it, that's when you get into trouble. Am I correct? Yes, ma'am. Um, because when you have an, an illness um, such as an autoimmune, your, your immune system is already weakened. So we are very, very, very susceptible to picking up really anything. You know, the average cold for somebody might turn around and be a major flu for me. Um, a lot of us are on what we call immune suppressants. Um, it is one of the medications that is treated um, or that is used to, you know, to treat your symptoms because it's chronic pain um, that correlates with it, chronic fatigue. Some, some people can't get out of bed because they can't move. Um, so the, the medications that, are, we, um, that we're put on, they also suppress our immune systems even further. So anytime you pick up an illness, it can potentially put you into what we call a flare, meaning, um, you know, any normal day, for example, isn't every day, you know, um, sometimes I wake up pretty much every day, I have some sort of fatigue, usually around the one o'clock, you know, one o'clock, two o'clock in the afternoon timeframe, I hit my wall, you know, that's when my fatigue really, really kicks on hardcore. But every day I wake up, I do have fatigue on a smaller form throughout the day, but I, I always have the joint pain and the muscle weakness. And, you know, that's pretty much an everyday kind of commonality for me. But if I'm in a flare, then that's everything is put under the microscope. It's amplified by, oh gosh, 15, 20, sometimes a hundred times more than what I deal with kind of on a daily basis. Um, and most of the time when I'm in a flare, it would require me to go to an amb- uh, to a hospital um, or an ER and be put on uh, an IV for fluids because at that point, you know, the vomiting, the nausea, the extreme headaches, the chronic pain, I- I'm talking like you feel like somebody's literally crushing your body and there's nothing that can be done by it other than, you know, getting treated at a hospital. Um, so the the symptoms can range on one spectrum to the other from very small symptoms all the way up to major life-threatening symptoms. Um, I have, you know, laid in bed and for a week at a time fighting through it. And I've been laying in a hospital for a week at a time, you know, fighting for my life. So unfortunately, not every case is the same. Um, you have, you know, similarities within cases, but the reason it's so hard to diagnose is because so many of the symptoms overlap with one another with other illnesses. So a lot of times people are being misdiagnosed or they're being told because they look okay or because maybe they're not in a flare. Maybe they've been struggling for the last six months with symptoms and they finally get the, you know, maybe they finally get insurance and so they go to the doctor, but it's six months later or, you know, maybe they've been concerned but not really knowing what's wrong and they finally get the courage to go to the doctor. Well, if a doctor does blood work, there's not just one test that can determine an autoimmune um, illness. It takes a factor of many different, you know, um, variables there. Specifically, a doctor to to look at you and know and believe that something is wrong. Um, For about four years, I knew something was wrong. But every time I went to a doctor, they told me I was fine. They told me I was crazy, that it was all in my head, that I was just tired and stressed out. Um, I had another doctor that accused me of being a drug addict because I had gone into the hospital in a flare. Literally. I mean, he, you know, they, they had given me, um, two shots of Dilaudid and three shots of morphine and I was very messed up. I don't, I don't want to discount that by any means. I mean, it, it made me not coherent. 
Um, but it did not dull my pain. It did not dull my pain. And so when I'm telling them, don't give me any more, it's not helping, you know, they, um, they don't, they don't understand that. They just think that, you know, it's, I'm, I'm there to try to get drugs. And so they actually sent my husband out of the room, um, because he's a police officer. They sent him out of the room and, looked at me and said, Miss Rupley, I cannot help you if you're not honest with me. I need to know what drugs you're taking. And I, I was just so devastated. Here's a doctor that I'm putting my life in his hands, you know, that you go to, right? Because you, you need help. I and mean, that's what we're, we're taught as children. If you need help, you go to the police. If you need help, you go to the doctors. You know, these are the people that are supposed to help you. And here he is accusing me of something. Um, and so I, I think that that was one of my lowest points because at that point I thought, oh my gosh, do I have a problem? Is this all in my head? You know, I, I really started to question myself um, and what was, what was real, you know, I mean, it felt very real to me, but then, I mean, maybe, maybe I was making it all up, you know, um, and thankfully it took my husband um, who really believed that something was wrong, had seen me through the entire thing, kind of pushing me and saying, no, this is not you. You know, we, we just need to find something that somebody that's going to listen, somebody that's going to believe us and somebody's going to give us an answer. Um, but it took, you know, three years of really fighting, fighting for myself. I was, I was literally my self advocate <laughs> because there was nobody else that was advocating for me. Um, when so, did that you know, happen? I, Tell I, me when you, when you first became aware that something was really wrong. Well, it's kind of been almost an undertone of my whole life, but I didn't realize it until definitely into my adulthood. Um, I was pregnant with my son and I had had, you know, some ovarian issues um, through my teenage years. Um, My uh, ovarian cancer runs in my mom's side of the family. And so ovarian cysts and things like that were, you know, were kind of second nature to me. Um, so I knew that it was going to be very difficult to get pregnant and we definitely didn't try by any means It it just happened. Um, and you know, shortly after, I mean, a few weeks into it, I was just very, very, very ill. Now, granted, this is my first pregnancy. I have no idea what I'm doing. So I just thought uh, this is normal, <laughs> you know, uh, mm-hmm. I mean, everybody, it's funny cause you hear all the stories of, Oh, I loved being pregnant. Oh my gosh, it was the best time ever. I will be the first to tell you, I hated being pregnant, but I love my son and I absolutely would not take that away for, for anything. But I know now that there's no way I could do it again because it literally almost killed me. And the reason being is because I've, I've had lupus for a very, very, very long time, but I didn't know I had lupus. And so when you have a major traumatic event within your body, it can trigger, you know, it may lay dormant for years and years and years. And then bam, you get the flu and it reignites it and all, you know, it comes full force. And that's exactly what happened with my pregnancy. My body was like, Oh my gosh, something is going on here. This, we have this foreign entity, (laughs) you know, what, what is happening? (laughs) And so it went on the defense mode and it started attacking my, my body within and my blood pressure dropped. Um, I dropped to 63 over 34 and, um, you know, they, they told my husband that had he gotten me to the hospital five minutes later, I would have died. Um, that was a very tough, I, I passed out. I was, you know, I started vomiting pretty profusely at that point. Again, just thinking that, you know, I was sick from, from the pregnancy and he got up to get up to go to the police department to get ready. It was like three thirty in the morning and I didn't want to wake him up. So I had gotten out of bed and went to lay on the other side of our house. Uh, we had a spare bathroom, you know, just so I wouldn't wake him up. And when he got up to get ready for work, he found me passed out on the floor. Um, thankfully rushed me right in, you know, told them he was a police officer with the city that we lived in and they took me in. I don't remember a whole lot other than I remember being very, very ill. And I remember them hearing, I remember hearing them tell my husband that they had to, they had to get fluids in me because I was extremely dehydrated. And then the next thing I know, I came to three days later. Um, and again, at this point, we had no idea what was going on. You know, um, they, they ran tests. Thankfully the baby's heartbeat was very strong, but mine wasn't. Um, so they sent me in for, you know, MRIs and scans and I mean, every possible test, I was essentially a guinea pig. Um, they chalked it up to dehydration, sent me home. And then about a month later, I was right back there again, same symptoms, same issues. Um, and then 
they sent me home, same thing, you know, dehydration, told me to keep up with my water. I'm like, but I'm drinking water all day long. And I was eating very healthy. It wasn't like a typical pregnancy where you get, you know, what you read, like the textbook pregnancy, though you want pickle and ice cream. I mean, I wanted pineapple, <laughs> you know, that was my craving. <laughs> so it wasn't, it wasn't a nutritional thing. It was legitimately my illness. And fast forward to nine months into it. And um, I was, I was at the golf course in the cafe area and almost passed out on the tables. Um, and um, one of the golf pros drove me to the hospital just down the road. My husband was on duty and he met us there and, um, you know, had a, had a super traumatic birthing experience, you know, two and a half hours of pushing. I was in labor for about 17 hours. And um, every time I would push, my heart rate dropped. So we knew, you know, just based on the pregnancy alone, that there was some major major issue here. But in my mind, I'm thinking after the baby comes, everything's going to go back to normal. And it did for about six months or so. And then I got sick. Um, I picked up, you know, some sort of little bug. I don't even really know what it was. That was never actually diagnosed, but some sort of bug, a stomach bug and bam, it all started all over again. And that became my hell for, for lack of better term for the next several years. It was every single month of just these very random episodes, I'd be completely fine one minute. And the next minute, within five minutes, I have, you know, chronic headache, and I'm super dizzy, and I can't even stand up. And then the nausea starts, and I'm vomiting, and I can't keep anything down. And then it feels like my my knees and my ankles start radiating, almost like the only way I can describe it is that scene from Misery where Kathy Bates takes the sledgehammer to the guy's ankles. That's exactly how I would imagine that feeling. And there's nothing you can do to control it. And then I, I start shaking because I can't get warm. I'm freezing. And I live in Dallas. So you're talking 106 degree weather in the middle of the summer. And here I am shivering with four layers of clothing on, can't get warm. Um, so it took about, oh, gosh, I saw a cardiologist. I saw a neurologist. I, you know, I've seen every specialist known to man. I've seen, I can't even tell you how many PCPs. Um, I've been to six different rheumatologists, one of which looked right at me and said, well, you don't have any symptoms of, of anything autoimmune, so I don't know what's wrong with you, and sent me home. Um, and it took one doctor, my, my final straw <laughs> was one doctor by the name of Dr. Diane Patron in downtown Dallas, who my first time I was with her, I sat in her office for over two hours. And in that one appointment. She said, I obviously can't give you a guarantee yet because I need to do some tests, but I'm, I'm, I know, I feel very confident in saying that you have rheumatoid arthritis at the very least, possibly Sjogren's, but I also think there may be some lupus related stuff there. So she gave me three words just off taking the time and listening to me. I had an entire file, you know, that I kept of, of incidents that had happened and we went through each and every one of them. So she knew what to kind of look for. And we, you know, we started doing the testing over the next month or so. It took about six weeks to finally get um, official diagnosis. And sure enough, it was, it was lupus, rheumatoid arthritis, and Sjogren's. So at that point, we started putting together All of them? A, All of them? Yes, ma'am. Wow. Yes, ma'am. With an autoimmune illness, we, we call it the power of three because most that suffer from one actually have a you know, multiple of them because, as I mentioned, they overlap um, and it can lead and cause other issues later on. So, for example, I, I have those three, but now I'm starting to get tingling in my hands and my feet, um, which is Raynaud's. It's another illness, another autoimmune illness. So when you have these issues, they tend to compound off of one another. And as time goes on, it's very common for an autoimmune survivor to gain at least one or two more throughout their lifespan. What you're describing is not unfamiliar to me because autoimmune disorders are usually not detected because the people look pretty good on the outside. It's an invisible disability, and the doctors tend to dismiss when you come in saying uh, something's wrong or I'm sick, they tend to dismiss you or misdiagnose. They always say it's fibromyalgia and that that it's psychologically (laughs) related. (laughs) They want to treat you with antidepressants and stuff like that. You're saying no, no. 
I'm really sick and they're not listening. Mm-hmm. I, I really well, and, hear you. Yes. And that's, you know, in fairness, I can't blame them. You know, I, I lived in, in anger. I'm not, I'll be the first to admit, I let anger consume me. I mean, the typical, why me? What did I do? You know, and then, and then you're angry at these doctors that they're not listening, that they're not helping, that they're not fixing. But once I got my diagnosis and the more I got embedded in the community and the more that I've spoken to my doctors, whom I'm very close to now, um, you know, they're taught to literally a medical school, you tell them what your symptom is and they prescribe a medication. And now we're in this massive epidemic of prescription medications, both narcotic and not being abused, you know? So I understand coming in and not looking sick, you know, because it's not typical what, what the average person goes through. You know, you, you, you contract an illness, um, whether it's a virus, a stomach virus or the flu or whatever. I mean, you have physical symptoms that are readily easily to attack, you know, to um, detect by the physical eye. But then you come in and somebody that's just sitting there, that's like, Oh, well this hurts or this hurts. And they can't see that. You know, they're thinking to themselves, okay, maybe they're here. Maybe they're, you know, somebody that's trying to get medication or sympathy, or maybe they don't want to go to work because they're tired today and they're trying to get a doctor's note. So I understand and I sympathize with the fact that I'm sure that that happens quite a bit, you know, unfortunately, because of the epidemic that we're in with with prescription drug abuse. Um, So I've learned to pass off that anger. I've learned to work through it. I don't, I don't um, feel sorry for myself anymore. I, do I get days that I'm frustrated? Absolutely. And that's human nature, you know, um, more importantly, because I'm sad for my family. I'm sad for what my kids have had to go through, what they have to see me go through my husband, you know, none of them deserve this, but at the same time, I don't either, but I do. My, my point being is that, um, I've learned that it's not the doctor's fault. You know, there's not enough information, enough literature out there regarding autoimmune illnesses. And unfortunately, it's becoming more and more common every day. Um, A lot of scientific evidence links environmental um, aspects to these autoimmune illnesses, which is why it's becoming more common every day. But at the same token, while I wouldn't want anybody to be sick, I would never want to wish this on anybody, um, the more that are diagnosed each and every day, the more awareness we're getting, which is the end goal, because that's going to give us answers. And it's going to provide more literature and more education for the doctors to correctly diagnose those that are suffering. So I I hope, and that's what my whole platform here is using my story, though it's painful to revisit, though, you know, I have to get super raw and very vulnerable about maybe some topics that I wouldn't have wanted to share with the public. I know that I have these resources and my background as a casting director in reality television to raise awareness. I have to use my story and my voice for those that don't have none so that maybe if I can save one person from having to be accused of being a drug addict or not sick or even remotely have to reevaluate themselves to think, oh my gosh, am I crazy? If I can save somebody from that because I'm helping to raise awareness to help a doctor get more education and get more understanding and have more compassion um, and, and drive to learn more so that they can adequately diagnose somebody in the early stages, then that's what all of this is about. And that's exactly what we need to do. We have to power through and we have to band together and we've got to continue, continue to fight and continue to be a voice for those that, you know, that don't have one. So, and you know, you are doing that and you are, what you described to me is a very normal reaction to grief when you when you find that you're ill and you're you can't believe it and it doesn't go away it's normal to get very angry and depressed and frustrated and deny it it's 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 grief over an illness that you cannot control so i think it's normal the thing that makes you stand out uh, compared to other people is the fact that you did not let the grief totally consume you. For a while, yes, you went down. You didn't know it was wrong. You didn't know how to treat it. You, you felt 
really alone in the world in yes, your ma'am. with your illness. So I think what you went through is very normal, but you did not give up. You're out there helping other people, explaining what this disorder is, and being a shining example of using your mental toughness. And that's what I meant at the, at the beginning. You are a woman who is very strong mentally to have gone through all of this. And the fact that you had a normal reaction to the loss of what you considered something that was rightfully yours helped. No one can fault you for that. I mean, it's devastating when you find out that you're going to have to fight a disease just to function in this world. So I admire you, and I think you're doing a fabulous thing. We're going to take a very short break, so I don't want anyone to go away. When we come back, I want to find out all about your book and what you do as a casting director and so forth. So don't go away. We'll be right back. Sign up today for my weekly radio show announcements and guest information and receive a free chapter of my newest book, Dancing on Your Disabilities, Never Say Impossible to Your Dreams, my story of perseverance, passion, hope, and happiness. Dreams do come true despite adversity. If I can do it, you can do it too. And here we are again on Dancing on Our Disabilities, and we're speaking to a lady who is not only dancing on her disability, she's singing Never Say Impossible because she's literally doing everything in her life. She has an amazing life. Her name is Amanda Rupley. And Amanda, can you tell people how they reach you if they want you to come and speak to their group or I you know all the information about your book is in my blog so anybody can click on the blog and find that or google you which I did yes <laughs> so but if 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 there is a specific way that you would like them to reach out to you like facebook or something like that can you tell them Absolutely. If you go to lightscameralupus.com, you can send us an email straight through the website. It comes directly to me, so I don't have a a machine answering the emails for me or anything like that. You will get um, an actual response straight from myself. And then also connect with me on Facebook. I have a Facebook page. um, It's called Amanda, uh, Amanda Rupley hyphen a lupus survivor and um, I share a lot of information there in regards to foods that can help with relieving inflammation within the body um, a lot of holistic health style um, information uh, recipes I love 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 new recipes anything that I can find that tastes good <laughs> that um, you know <laughs> that my body can consume that isn't intolerant Um, You know, I just, I love sharing a lot of information there um, and using it as a resource, not only for myself, but for those that might be a little bit newer in their diagnosis that don't really know kind of where to, where to get started. Um, It's just a really great place, you know, to get some information. So if you are struggling with anything that you consider might be, you know, any kind of invisible illness and you don't know where to start, um, I definitely encourage you message me through the Facebook page. I'd be happy to send you a bunch of different resources. Um, for places that I started reading at originally, um, which kind of led me to the idea that I was possibly dealing with an autoimmune. So, Mm. You are amazing. Now, you mentioned something that really, really I can understand. You, You mentioned feeling alone in your book and that friends don't really get it, quote, unquote. And I think people who don't understand what you're going through tend to drift away. They tend to... Absolutely. Yeah, they want to run with people who can run with them. And they don't mean to leave you behind or exclude you, but they do. And you sort of fade out of the picture. I have a granddaughter that has RSD, which is um, a chronic nerve pain disorder. She's 14, and uh, 
Oh, bless her heart. Really, yeah, she's really struggling, and it has all kinds of complications with it. And when she had it from a knee injury, and when she developed this, she found that all these girlfriends that she had were drifting away, and she was sitting Mm -hmm. home alone because she couldn't be as active as them. How did you deal with that, and what do you say to people who are beginning to experience this, whether it's from lupus, a spinal cord injury, whatever they might have, and they're saying, where are my friends? What do you suggest? You know, it's interesting that you mentioned this topic because yesterday um, I was at my chiropractor, which that's one of the ongoing, you know, therapy that I do is, is um, regimented chiropractic care. And we were talking about why he is such a great doctor. And I told him, I said, it's because you genuinely care about people. And he goes, sometimes I wish I didn't. And I said, I know it's a lot easier not to care, right? Because sometimes caring is extremely difficult. When you're watching somebody that you care about and you feel their pain, that's not easy for you. So unfortunately, that kind of is what comes to mind for me with this. Um, You know, speaking from experience, when friends invite you out, to go grab dinner or lunch or things like that. And your response is, yeah, I'll be there. And then the day comes and you have to cancel because you can't get out of bed. Because again, every day is different. You don't know what tomorrow holds. Um, It's only a matter of time before they stop inviting. Not like you mentioned, not to be ugly, but because they're like, well, why would we invite her? She's not going to come anyway, you know? And then on the Mm -hmm. other side of the spectrum, there's, there's um, much like the doctors, you know, there's friends that don't believe you now I have come to learn that those weren't my true friends um the people that stayed with me and stuck by my side are the ones that that are the people that I can call upon and I'm a firm believer that blood doesn't always mean family um so I have what I call my extended family (laughs) they are all the people that have loved me and guided me through all of this that stuck by my side stuck by my husband's side helped out with our children you know, drove literally in an ice storm when Dallas was shut down for five days to be at the hospital with me because my family couldn't get to me and my husband was on duty at the, at the police department um, because we were in state of emergency. Those are the people that have become my extended family. So instead of talking to maybe the ones that um, that are starting to feel this way now, maybe feeling alone, I'd like to kind of take another approach with it. I I want to reach out to those of you out there that may or may not know somebody um, that is currently struggling. I just want to, I want to reiterate over and over and over again, how important it is to never judge a book by its cover, because you don't know what somebody is dealing with privately, whether they're in physical pain, whether they're in mental pain, whether they are dealing with something extremely private that maybe you can't see at the forefront. Everybody, it doesn't matter who you are. Every single human has something that they have got going on in their lives. And so I implore you to love them, embrace them, do not judge them. Just be kind. Being kind can be so, so, so important in anybody's life at any given moment. If somebody is struggling with something, for example, I traveled for New Year's and the TSA agent was having a rough day and he was not being very nice and he said some pretty ugly things. And instead of reciprocating that, which I could have easily done, I just looked at them. I said, you have a happy new year. And we turned around and we walked off and I walked over quietly to the side corner and I said a prayer for him because he obviously was dealing with something that I don't know and I don't understand. But I felt like I needed to pray for him at that moment because everybody else within the crowd that we were standing in got frustrated and they were giving the attitude back to him. You got to break the cycle. Um, That's a big thing. Break the cycle. Love. Love and be loved. What you put out is what you get back. So and be for those that are struggling. want to see, right? Be the yes, change. Yes, that's my favorite quote. And be the change <laughs> you wish to see in the world. And I, it's funny because a lot of people tell me, oh, you're crazy that you believe that. Well, you know what? Steve Jobs said another one too. Those that are crazy enough to think that they can change the world are the ones that often do. So I'm fine in my crazy little happy bubble over here (laughs) because that's how I I choose to live my life. And that's how my coping mechanism is. I understand that this is an illness that may not promise me tomorrow. So today I'm going to live. 
I, I love it because it's so important. I, you know what I say all the time? The, the most universally understood language in the world is a smile. And Absolutely. it's so important. It, it, you've got to give people a fair and fighting chance. You don't know what's wrong. You don't know what's happening. And most of the time when people are unkind to you or hostile, it has nothing to do with you. You're just the object exactly. that's there in front of them. So that's a very wise, wise attitude to, to take towards the world. And it will bring you love because people will remember that you were kind when they needed you to be kind. And it could be as simple as passing someone on the street, on your way to the supermarket that you don't even know who looks particularly grumpy or unpleasant and mm-hmm. you give them an ear-to-ear uh, ear smile, you've probably made their day, <laughs> even if they don't smile back. So, you know, I exactly. love what you just said. Yeah. Now, let's talk about your book. You, most people who have invisible disabilities want to hide them. And they don't want anybody yes. to know because we're so bigoted and we judge people. And when they have disabilities, you tend to think they're not able to do a job and so forth. And, and mm-hmm. I, as a disability advocate, see this a lot. There's a, a lot of bias in the world yes, on ma'am. the business end of things when it comes to people with disabilities of any kind, visible and invisible. So why did you mm-hmm. come forward in your book with all your honesty? You know, I just, um, after suffering for so long, and, and like you mentioned, hiding behind it, because I had this very public life of, you know, very much in the public eye, working on various different reality shows. Up to date, I've worked on 54 different shows. So that kind of puts it in perspective how out there I've been. And I was worried, you know, the fear of the unknown is something that can consume you, but also on that same side of it, not understanding or knowing, you know, not having education as an outsider of what this is. Is it something you can catch by touching, by being in the same, is it airborne? I mean, there's all these different things that go into it. But then, as you mentioned, is she able to do the job? So I did deal with this very, very, very privately. You know, I plastered on a smile. I exuded every ounce of energy that I had when I was at a casting call or when I was on Skype interviews or whatever I was doing um, in regards to my job. But then I would come home and it would wipe me out for days. I mean, days on end where I literally could not get out of bed to hug my child, you know, and I finally, it's interesting because it was the scene in Parenthood. I'm not sure if you're familiar with that show where Monica Potter plays the the mom and she was diagnosed with breast cancer and she started taking radiation and she said, you know what, I'm not going to, I'm going to make the choice of how this disease affects me. And so she walks into the bathroom and grabs the buzzers and shaves off her head. And it was such, look, I just get all emotional talking about it. It was such a dramatic scene, and my husband and I loved the show because we just related so much in every aspect of it. And I just looked at him and I said, I want to do that. I want to take the reins. I want to choose my path. I don't want – I have lupus, but lupus, lupus doesn't have me. So I told him, I said, I need, to, I, need to, I need to do something. And at this point, I had been writing, but not on – not on an avenue of, oh, I'm going to put this out there for everybody to read. It was more for therapeutic reasons. My rheumatologist, you know, suggested that I just write to get it all out because she was worried that, you know, holding it in, that one day you're going to snap, especially when depression and anxiety pretty much is, is very common with anybody that suffers from an autoimmune. So I had already started writing, but again, they were more journal entries and, you know, things like that. And, um, I was a, a dear friend of mine, Sarah Sherman, uh, who is one of my childhood friends and has an amazing book called Powered On. Um, she had recently been featured on the Ellen show and she reached out to her publishing house and said, listen, my friend Amanda's writing and I think she's got a story to tell and I think you need to listen to her. So they started calling me and, you know, we started having phone conversations and they kept saying, they said, you have such a big purpose. You have such a big purpose. 
my concern was, you know, you hear all these horror stories of, oh, you write this, you know, this book and then you pass it off and they kind of butcher it. And that's not at all what I wanted. I said, I have a very specific message that I have to get across and it has to be mine. And so I have such huge, huge respect and admiration for my publishing house um, because they, you know, Indigo River Publishing, they let me they let me run with this thing. I mean, they let me see my vision from start to finish. They saw my vision from start to finish, and they only helped mold me into what I needed to say and who I needed to to touch, you know, what, who my message was meant to touch. Um, so that's how it kind of came into play. And we launched in August of 2014, and we've been sitting on the bestseller list in Amazon ever since. So it's Beautiful. had um, – Yes, it's had a huge success un- unexpectedly. I mean, again, you know, I, my whole purpose was if I could just help one person know that they're not alone. You know, here I have this platform and all these connections and contacts and entertainment that most people don't have. And so I knew that I had to, I had to use that. I had to be the voice for those that had none, you know, especially when during the writing process, I started getting all of these letters um, from other survivors and they were saying, you know, my husband was the first thing to go because he didn't understand or my parents, you know, disowned me because they thought I was lying. I, I mean, I was reading all of these and just feeling so sad and heartbroken that people were having to feel this way because through all of it, as broken as I had felt, I always, always, always had the support system of my family. And I always, especially my husband, who completely is my rock. A lot of people didn't have that. So about halfway through the writing process, the book took a shift. I told my publishers, I said, listen, I have a voice, yes, but it's important to me that my readers get to hear other people's voices. And so I came up with the idea of submitting some of these letters to be featured in the beginning of each um, of each chapter so that you could get perspective from other people that were battling too. And not just lupus. I mean, anything from you know, Raynaud's to Hashimoto's, I mean, all of these different ranges of autoimmune illnesses so that you could get a tone for what others battle because not every battle is the same. Um, but more importantly, and, and I'm so thankful for this, my husband actually contributed a letter. So you can get perspective from the family standpoint too, because this isn't just an illness that affects me or the patient, it affects the entire family. You know, he puts it very, very well um, in the letter. It is, it's an unforgiving disease. It waits for date nights and family vacations to unleash its fury. And you never know. And to have to stand by and watch somebody that you love this much that you've chosen to spend your life with suffer and you can't do anything about it, it affects the family just as much as it affects the patient. So um, I just, you know, it's important to me that we got that message across. Yeah, I really agree with you, and I think very often there's a lot that isn't told about the caregivers, the family, and it doesn't just happen to the person with the disorder. It happens to everyone who loves them. So it's Mm -hmm. the children, it's the spouse, whether it's the husband or, or the wife. I once recently asked my husband, because... When he married me, I was on an upswing. And when he met me, he didn't even notice that I had a very slight leftover limp. I was 19. Now, I am—I literally can only walk a few steps here and there. And I, I once asked him, I said, did you, were you prepared or do you feel I'm a burden? And he looked at me. I, oh, I, I tear I up. I ask that question all the time. I tear up. He said to me, you think I didn't know that this would happen? Mm. He said, I knew. And he said, I watched mm. it also. Because, you know, I was in that denial period as I started to feel my health going downhill and my mobility going downhill. I was also in a very active career and very successful, very uh, the cosmetic arena in the corporate America and very visual business. And I was petrified as I was sliding down. But he knew, and I guess that's what true love is all about because he watched it. I denied it. I said, this is not happening to me. Maybe I'm crazy. 
you know, because I, I started of falling and I, I fell. I fell so many times that I ruined my spine and it finally collapsed, you know, just trying it's to It's interesting fight it. because that, that does happen. Yes. I mean, there's times that my knees will buckle from under, and I'm a, I'm a boot camp instructor. So imagine what that's like, you know, when your <laughs> knees just, just flat buckle underneath you. And so now I've, I've kind of gotten to the point where my husband and I, it, it probably sounds harsh, but it's kind of our way of dealing with it. You know, we, we kind of laughing, lovingly laugh about it. You know, I'm like, Oh, there goes my lupus brain again. You know, <laughs> that's, that's the way that we know how to deal with it because it is what it is. It is happening. I, I know that it's happening, but I get just like you, you know, where there's days that I I'm, my heart just breaks for my husband, you know, here, I'm this person that he's supposed to spend his, the rest of his life with. And as a man, they want to protect us. You know, they want to, they want to be the provider mm-hmm. and be the protector. And when they feel completely helpless, it's heartbreaking. And I ask him all the time. I'm like, or I tell him, I'm like, you didn't sign up for this. You know, we didn't know when we got married that this is what was going to happen. And he tells me every time he said, I would choose you over anyone, any day at any time, even if it were 50 times worse. Um, so, you know, I feel like it's <laughs> You can't ask for better than that. I know. He's just, he's amazing. And But at the same time, I feel like it has strengthened our marriage even more because at 32 years old, I've been through more in the last eight years than most people have in their entire lives. And so when you've been able to kind of grow together in that, you know, especially for being such a young marriage, I mean, we've only been married eight years. Um, and to go through the things that we have, it makes you appreciate each other. It makes you um, communicate a lot better. It makes you honor each other. Um, it makes you respect and trust. Oh, gosh, trust. Like, like you know, you can't even believe. And so um, I appreciate, you know, I have to look at the good of what it's brought me to. It has brought me a whole new respect for life. Um, I don't take anything for granted. You know, I do have good days and I do have bad days and there's days that I'm super happy and there's days that I'm super sick and that's okay, you know, but I know overall, I know where my heart is. I know that I um, love my children. I love my family. I love everybody around me and I love talking to others that are out there struggling because I love connecting, you know, with other people that are dealing with, with different things because it makes me feel like we can help each other, you know? Um, whether it's lupus or not, I mean, somebody may be dealing with depression and if I can talk them, talk with them, I learn more things for me that helps me understand. And, you know, maybe I'm helping them have somebody that they can talk to. So, um, you know, I just, it's I very important that we each stand and every journey together. I, I do. Absolutely. Agree with you. We, we do have to stand up for each other, fight for each other, give each other a hug, give them inspiration motivation because you don't want somebody giving in and giving up because if you no. do that it's all over and it's up and to that happens to say, yes, too often mm-hmm. yes mm-hmm. exactly you can you know you may not want to and that's okay there's days that I don't want to you know we're human and that's human nature but um you know just remembering that positive in is positive out I try to I try to not let too much of, of the negativity into my face. You know, I surround myself with those that lift me up, not, not break me down. Um, so I had to do some real soul searching, you know, cause there were some people that, that took advantage and that did bring me down even further. And now I've gotten my, you know, my little bubble and it's, it's good. So <laughs> I had somebody say to me once, uh, right after I had a cervical fusion about five years ago and uh, it was a, a rough recovery. And she said mm-hmm. to me, why don't you just give up? Let's let, oh, wow. give up because I can't give up. I keep working. I, I will never give up. They'll be throwing the last bit of dust on my grave. And I will say, wait, <laughs> I didn't finish that. <laughs> I love that. That's awesome. But it's, it's really I'll be right there with you, honey. <laughs> Your your spirit is uplifting to me and to millions of people. So, oh, well, you know, all you. I can say is thank you for that mental toughness and your fighting spirit because that's what separates 
the boys from the men and the women from the girls. And you've got it, my dear. And this has been a oh. very enlightening conversation, and I absolutely loved every minute of it. Thank you so much. If you decide to write another book, you know you're always welcome back. Oh, thank <laughs> you. You know, it's funny. I've I've been getting that question a lot lately. So I don't know. Maybe there will be a secondary follow-up. We'll see. Maybe. And you certainly will have lots to put in it with all the people that you are touching and their stories that they're sharing with you. So as I said, may you be blessed for the rest of your life. And I hope Thank you. that you can control lupus to the best of your ability. And thank you out there in cyberspace for listening. You can find us on facebook.com forward slash slash Dancing on Your Disabilities Radio, which is also known as NSI, Never Say Impossible, capital letters, AmpuSign, D-O-O-D Radio. You can find us on Stitcher.com, TalkShoe.com, TuneIn.com, and of course on my website at MyraGoldick.com. Until next time, if you get the chance to sit it out, or dance, dance, if only in your heart and your mind. You've been listening to Dancing on Our Disabilities, a production created for the people and by the people. If you wish to contribute information, your story, or reliable, validated medical information to our program, please visit Myra Goldick or visit our Facebook fan page at facebook.com slash dancing on our disabilities. Lucky Land Casino, asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.